So I want to share a word with you today on the topic of all or nothing. All or nothing. And, and for, from those of, for those of you that have seen a preaching from, from Judah Smith, you know, prior at one point in your life, he, he always begins the sermon with stories. And I think it's so, it's so funny, it's so interesting. I wish I had a story to share with you today, but I'm very young. I'm only 26 and I still don't have a story. Maybe by the time we start having kids, we will, right? <laughs> uh, anyhow, so I want to share with you on this topic, all or nothing. You know, all or nothing. Um, I want to read a portion of the scripture with you, just a verse, and then we're going to pray for the word. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with, we, with which you were called. Can you bow your heads with me? Can you ask Jesus to, to speak to you today in a different way, in a way that he has never spoken before? Can you ask him to encourage you, to motivate you? Will you pray with me at this moment? Father God, Lord, we just surrender our hearts to you, Lord. God, we pray, Lord, that you would challenge us, Jesus, Lord. God, through your scripture, Lord. God, we pray, Lord, that, that you would show us your face through your word, Lord. God, we pray, Lord, that you would overwhelm us with your love. God, we pray, Lord, that you would constrain us, Lord. God, with this love, Lord, that's so amazing, so vast, so huge, so big. God, we pray, Lord, God, that as we, as we, as we dive into this message, Lord, God, we pray that you may, Lord, just speak to us, Jesus. Motivate us. Encourage us, Lord, in the light of your word, we pray. God, we want to see you, Lord, at all times, Lord. Speak to us. Speak to our hearts. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So look what it says. This is Apostle Paul. You know, he's writing this letter to the, the church of Ephesus. And um, he, he's there. The, the, the fact about this letter that is that he is actually a prisoner. He's in jail. You know, when he's writing this letter. And then he goes on to say, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. You know, it's a big word. You know, even though he's bound by, by a, in captivity, he's saying, I'm not a prisoner by this physical place. I'm not being held by people, but I'm a prisoner by the Lord. I'm a prisoner for the Lord. Because the Lord is the one that called me. The Lord was the one that saved me. The Lord was the one that that, that, that brought me to this place which I, I'm standing today writing this letter to you, the church of Ephesus. So he's saying, that's a big word. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy. This is another big word. You know, to walk worthy. Worthy of the calling. Big word with which you were called. So let me ask you, do you know that God, when God saved you, that God also gave you a calling? God gave you a mission. God did not just save you, you know, but he also gave you a mission, a calling. This is the beauty, the beauty of the gospel, that there is a purpose in the gospel. God loved us. He saved us, but he now sends us. He gives us a calling for us to live out. And that's why Apostle Paul, the same guy that wrote this letter, he says, just as, as you have received Christ, walk in him every day. So the gospel is not a one-day type of thing. The gospel is a journey. It's a beautiful journey day after day. It only gets better. It only gets better. We see in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 4 when the Bible says that the path of the righteous is like the shining sun. We know that we, we became righteous through the blood of Jesus. 
You know, he declared us righteous. There's no, there's, you are in perfect standing with God. There's nothing that you have to do other than believing. You just come into his presence. And then the book of Hebrews gives us a beautiful picture. Since we have this God, this perfect God who offered the perfect sacrifice, who tore through the heavens, we have complete access to him at all times. So despite of what you did yesterday, guess what? The Bible says that God does not remind our, remember our sins no more. Isn't this, isn't this awesome news? If God doesn't, re, we, we remind ourselves, our conscience reminds ourselves, the devil points fingers at us, but God doesn't remember. This is the beauty of the gospel. God doesn't remember. The Bible says that there will be a new covenant. There will be a new time that God would establish. He, he, he used to tell this in the Old Testament to the prophets several times. And he says, there's going to be a time that's going to come, you know, and it's not going to be like the times of today. For I will not, do, I will not deal with you according to your sins anymore. And your sins, I will never remember them. It will be a new covenant, a new covenant, the covenant of grace, the time that we live today. It's the time of grace. We can walk freely before the Lord because he, per, he, he perfected us through his sacrifice, which was perfect. Are you guys with me? So this is amazing. But the point that I want to make is that when God saved us, he called us. There's something special about you, in you. <laughs> there's, a, there's a specific way that God wants to use you that... That he maybe will not use myself in. Because you're unique. There's, there's, you have your own abilities. You have your own gifts given by God. Your own design. God created you in a very specific way. So this is beautiful what's happening in Ephesians. Because Apostle Paul is saying, hey, I'm being, I'm being held here in captivity, but I'm not a prisoner of the things that I see. I'm not a prisoner of this physical place, but I'm a prisoner of the Lord, for he called me. Oh, this is beautiful. And then he's, he, he's, he's charging the, the church of Ephesus. Hey, just as you have received Christ, walk worthy of this calling. Walk worthy of the calling. Walk worthy. Just serve Jesus with everything you have. So when it comes to all or nothing, I want to I build on this topic. And, and my whole introduction is that I believe that God is calling us to step out in faith and outside of the, the comfort zone. You know, break out of safe Christianity. You know, and I was, I was just meditating on this topic. I was like, Lord, you know, when... You know, why is it that I'm not flowing in your gifts as much as I should or as much as I used to in the past? God, I want to flow in your gifts again. God, I want to step out of safe Christianity. I want to do crazy things that I used to do back in my youth again. Oh, this is amazing. This is precious. So I believe that God is calling people to... You know, it's interesting because when we look at Apostle Paul, he's, he comes to a point that he says, hey, I do not consider my life worth anything other than to preach the gospel. He says that he counted all as garbage for the sake of Christ, for the sake of knowing Christ, because he found something that was far worth, more precious than anything that he had experienced in his life. And it was Jesus. 
Let me tell you, the greatest gift you can, you can have is not money. It's not, it's not your material things. The greatest gift you can have is Jesus. You know, I think about my parents, and, and this is something that I think about often. And, and I want to I have the same heart towards my children when we have them. It's that, you know, the greatest, the greatest inheritance that one can receive is not anything material. It's your presence. It's Jesus. You know, as a father, the greatest thing that you can receive, that you can give your children, is Jesus. That's the greatest thing. It's, not, it's nothing that, that's going to perish. It's something that's eternal. It goes far beyond this time that we live in today. Are you with me? So this is great news. I mean, I believe that God is calling us to realize that we don't belong to this world. We are in this world, but we don't belong here. As a matter of fact, Apostle Paul says that we have a, a heavenly citizenship. You know, when we think about this, you know, I was born in Brazil. You know, I am an, an American citizen. I came here when I was a kid, very young, and I grew, I grew up in here. Um, but when I think about the word of God, what the word of God says, it says that we have a heavenly citizenship far away from this world. It's not this world, but it's, it's a different kingdom. The Bible says that we have a king that rules over us. Isn't this amazing news? You know, so we, we're not bound by the things that we see. We're not bound by the things that we walk in. But we're bound by a spiritual world. For we have received a kingdom, citizenship, a heavenly citizenship far beyond this world. Where we have a king, Jesus Christ. And we have complete access through him through faith. So I believe God's calling us to break out of, of, of safe Christianity, you know, and be people who do not count our lives as precious for the sake of the gospel. You know, it's, it's interesting because I remember, I'll never forget this. One time I was, um, I was, um, I was at a conference and, and I, had, um, I had this preacher come and he was preaching something that really s stuck with me. It marked my heart. I'll never forget it. And the topic of his preaching was that God cannot be your first one. And this, this stuck to me so powerfully. Because if God is the number one in your life, that means that you have a number two, a number three, and a number four. There's competition. And God doesn't want just one thing from you, but he wants you completely. He wants your whole heart. You know, he wants, he wants to be... Your father, he wants to take care of you every day, every day of the way. You know, so, so this, this stuck to me when I was thinking about this thought. Lord, I don't want you to have first place in my life. I want you to have all of it. Because if you have first place in my life, there's a second, there's a third, there's a fourth. There's competition. You know, and God, when you meet Jesus, you're, you're, you're falling so much, you fall in love with Jesus so much that you just want to follow him completely. You know, it's so good. You know, he, he is a God filled with mercy, filled with kindness. He takes care of you every day. Are you with me? 
So, so again, I want to ask you, when was the last time that, that you risked something for somebody? When did you place something on the line for something? Or, or for God, maybe? When was the last time that you risked everything for the sake of Christ? And it's interesting because the moment that we say yes to Jesus, he comes as the Lord of our lives. You know, it's interesting because many people want a savior, you know, but many people do not want a Lord. <laughs> and I believe that when we accept Jesus, we, we accept him, yes, as our savior, we understand the sacrifice of the cross, but, but he comes in as the Lord of our lives. He guides our lives. Every single part, we put our hopes in him, we trust in him wholeheartedly. We become, the Bible actually says that we become children of God. Children of God. Once you're a child, you can never, there's nothing you can do to not ever be a child again. You're a child of God. And he becomes the Lord of your lives. So in other words, he wants our hearts completely, not just a number one, but it's all or Nothing, all or nothing, you know. And um, it's interesting because the Bible gives us evidence of these things. You know, when we open, when we go to to talk about the disciples, um, go with me in the Luke chapter five, verse one. These guys, the disciples, were great examples of people who laid everything down for the sake of the gospel. Are you Are you with me? It's good. So I'm going to read it a little bit with you. It's Luke chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Genezareth and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then, verse 3, then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. As he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat, then verse 4, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. In verse 6, And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets was breaking. So, so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came, came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Verse 10. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And then verse 11 it says, so when they had brought their, their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. No, this is a beautiful description. It's a beautiful picture. Let me explain to you guys what's going on. So this is the first time that Jesus calls the disciples. It's the first experience. He goes into a boat. 
You know, and he's teaching the people. You know, there's a crowd that's following him. Everybody wants to hear Jesus. You know, maybe for the miracles, maybe for the signs, maybe for the wonders. But everybody wants to hear Jesus. So Jesus is preaching. He's sharing the word. You know, and people are astonished. You know, and the Bible says that he goes into a boat and he sits down as he is teaching the people. Then he looks to Simon, who was there, who was the owner of the boat. He says, Simon, let's go a little bit offshore while I teach the people, as they go in, he, at one point, he turns to Simon and says, Simon, lay down your nets. And, and Simon's like, but Lord, I, I toiled all night. You know, we, we toiled, we worked the whole night. You know, we are professional fishermen. Don't you understand that? I do this for my whole life. This is everything I've done. You know, I'm the guy who knows how to fish. I know everything about my lines. I know everything about my hooks. I know everything about fish. I know the type of fish that we can catch here. Don't you understand that I toiled the whole night and I didn't catch anything? I know how to fish. But at your word, I will lay down the nets. And it's interesting because, you know, let me just just back up a little bit and explain something to you. In Jewish culture, you know, whenever, whenever you grew up, you know, up, up to a certain point when you're 12 years old, 15 years old, you know, you grew up, you grow up learning the Torah, which is the, the first books of the Bible, you know, and you grow up lo- learning the Torah, you, you learn everything, you, you try, your goal as a kid is to always become like your rabbi, it's to always become like your master. So, so these guys were guys that grew in Jewish culture, they knew everything about the Torah they they, these guys were guys that that were trained to become rabbis but let me explain one thing to you you know their dreams was to become rabbis because that's what the culture is like but whenever you're about 15 12 years old I believe you know you can you can look it up later but when you're 12 or 15 years old it's one or the other you know it's interesting because if you're not good enough the rabbi will come to you and say hey I'm sorry, thank you for all your time, but you're just not good enough. Go back home and do what your father does. That was what the culture was like. You know, so these guys, they dreamt their whole lives to being capable of being a disciple. That was their dreams, to be a disciple. And these guys, for society, these guys were guys that were disqualified. They were disqualified. You know, and we see that at the end, you know, they, they, after they, they, they leave, you know, the synagogue, after they leave that training time, they go back to their father's house and they, and they become whatever their father used to be. In this case, it was a fisherman. So let me tell you, you know, these guys were, were disqualified by society, yet they were called by Jesus. They were not good enough. But they were called by Jesus. They were chosen by Jesus. You know, I don't know. I don't know what your life is like. I don't know what your past is like. I I don't know what people have said to you. You But I wanna I wanna let you know that Jesus does not see you the same way. Jesus does not see you the same way. And it's interesting because these guys they knew everything about fishing. They were disqualified to be disciples. They became professional fishermen. And then at this point, in this very passage here, I don't know how many of you guys actually fish. All right, we got, we got a good crowd here. I love fishing too. Uh, 
But this was a career, you know, in the fishing world. For those that actually do fish, this was a career catch. You know, they, 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 hit, they hit the power bowl. The power bowl. <laughs> it was a career catch. You know, that nobody ever caught this amount of fish before. The Bible says that their nets were breaking. There, it was so much fish that it didn't fit into two boats. Both boats were sinking. Both boats were sinking. It was a career catch. Imagine how, how much these fish was worth. Probably a fortune. You know, but, but it's interesting because before that, they turned to Jesus and, Lord, you know, you, you, at your word, we're going to let the nets down. At your word, it doesn't matter that we have worked all night, but we're going to trust in you and we'll let the nets down. Let's just see what happens. And then they end up making a career catch. You know, it's interesting because right after that, you know, Paul, you know, not Paul, but Peter, you know, he, he looks to himself, Simon, you know, and he says, Lord, depart from me for, for I am a sinner and you are God. In other words, he was recognizing Jesus as God. He was like, hey, I'm, I'm a sinner. Depart from me. Who are you? You can only be God. You can only be the Messiah. Only the Messiah. You know, it's interesting because verse 11, I promise I won't take that long. But what, what shocks me is that is verse 11. It says, so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let me ask you, when was it the last time that you forsook everything to follow Jesus? When was the last time that... That, that you said, hey, my life is not, I do not see my life as precious. And when was it the last time that you, that you realized that Jesus was, was everything? Maybe, you, maybe you've never came to this conclusion. But I want to let you know that there's something far more precious and it's Jesus you know there's a song there's a song that that it's it's called only Jesus it's probably my favorite song ever one of the things in that song one of the sentences at that song is that it's just like this the riches of this world can never satisfy can never satisfy it can never satisfy it cannot bring satisfaction everything we have here it's so Perishable. The only thing that counts in eternity is, is Jesus. It's what we do for the Lord. It's the people that we invest in. There's something more precious. Maybe, maybe you, you got disappointed at one time with God. You know, I wanna, I wanna let you know there's God is a father. He loves you so much. You know, I don't know if that matters for you, but I, I just want to reinforce that. He really does. He's a God that's so madly in love with you. So madly in love that he was able to send his son for you to save us, to redeem us from the curse of the law. Like that, that whole paradigm, everything, the Bible says that everything that stood, us against, that stood against us, he nailed it to the cross. 
nailed it to the cross. Every hand requirement. You're not good enough. You, you cannot fulfill the law. You cannot fulfill the commandments. Everything. He nailed it to the cross. And after that, he declared it. It is finished. It is finished. There's nothing you can do other than freely accept and believe in the gift of salvation, the gift of Jesus. You know, and I just want to share with you just, just a few more examples. I, again, I promise I won't take long. But another person whose life was changed was the life of Apostle Paul. You know, it's interesting because Paul, who was Paul? Paul was a murderer. This was a guy that persecuted Christians. This was a guy who was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He, he, fulfilled, he, he attempted to fulfill the law in everything. He attempted to be perfect before the law. Everything, every commandment he attempted to fulfill. He was a teacher of teachers, a Pharisee of Pharisees, the Bible says. And he persecuted Christians. And then at one point, it's interesting because he, he is on his way to persecute more Christians. You know, and then Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then there's a light that blinds him. He has like a supernatural encounter of God. His life is never the same again. And he's like, Lord, who are you? And, and, and then Jesus says, I am Jesus Christ who you persecute. Who you persecute. And it's, it's, it's interesting because he was a murderer, persecuted by Christians, has a supernatural encounter with God. His life is changed. You know, and then he says in Acts chapter 20, 24, look what it says. But none of these things move me. Nor did I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This was after having an encounter with Jesus. Paul in the book of Acts, he's saying, hey, there's a different translation that says, I do not count my life as precious because of the gospel. My life is not, is not precious because of the gospel. I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to go anywhere for the sake of Jesus. Anywhere and anything for the sake of Jesus. It's interesting because in the book of Corinthians, he tells the, the, the church of Corinth, he's talking about himself, how he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a good guy, good before the law. But he says that everything that he has known, he's, he counts it as garbage for the sake of the gospel. He counts it as lost for the sake of the gospel. Everything because he found something that was so much better. So much better. Are you with me? And this is how I want to conclude this message. There's, there's so many examples in the Bible of men and women of God that left everything for the sake of the gospel. That forsook everything for the sake of the gospel. That forsook everything for the sake of Jesus. Hundreds of examples. How many people in your life do you know that have forsook everything for the sake of the gospel? For the sake of Jesus. Because they found something that was much better than anything in this world. 
anything in this world. You know, there's, there's hundreds of people, there's thousands of people. Actually, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a whole gallery of, of the heroes of faith, people that died for the sake of the gospel, the things that they did, people that were willing to, 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 to lay everything down for the sake of the gospel. It, it shocked, I mean, sometimes we see things in the internet that, shocked, that shock us, right? Yesterday, I was, just, I was just going through Facebook, and I saw it. I saw this posting about a guy who was at uh, New York's New York Metro. He, he began sharing the gospel. This 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 guy, 79 years old, 79 years old, sharing the gospel in the train, in the subway. Then a lady comes and starts beating him up, beating him up. 79 year old guy. The guy wasn't was just sharing about the love of Jesus. No, there's, there's actually brothers right now in, in Asia, in, in these countries, that are actually dying for the sake of the gospel. Dying for the sake of the gospel. We're so privileged because we live in a, in a, in a, in a country where we have so much freedom. So much freedom. I actually want to invite the worship team to come. But here, here's how I want to end this. I want to make a proposal to you. You know, history has been written. You know, we see it in the book of Hebrews, people dying for the sake of the gospel, people leaving everything for the sake of the gospel. But reality is that history is still in the making. Through us, the living stones in the church. The Bible says that we are part of a building. We are living stones, part of the building where Christ Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 15. This is my proposal to you. The Bible says, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. No, there's a joy in serving Jesus that this world cannot provide. There's a joy that your that your business cannot provide. There's a joy that your marriage cannot provide. It's a joy in Jesus. It's a joy in Jesus. It's a joy in Jesus. So my proposal is this: if He risked everything for us out of love should we not risk everything back for the sake of love as second corinthians says and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them